Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of Across the Isle, your favourite podcast about culture, theatre and the arts in Melbourne. I'm Philip Teal, and I'm joined in the studio today by my friend and drag mother, <laughs> Carla. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. Beautiful day today. Got stuck at the level crossing, but Dan will fix that for us. <laughs> it's summer in Melbourne, which means Carnival, Pride March, and all the other curiosities of Midsummer Festival. And in today's show, we'll be taking in two shows that fall under this rainbow-coloured umbrella. Both of them concerned with drag queens, but on and at very different stages. First up, it's the return of the 2006 musical Priscilla, Queen of the Desert by Stephen Elliott and Alan Scott at the appropriately lavish Regent Theatre. Later, we'll head to the newly refurbished, but much smaller, La Mama Courthouse in Carlton for Dragged, a new play by Tasmanian Theatre Awards 2016 emerging artist and writer, Andy Aisbert. So, lots of drag queens ahead, and I'm really curious to hear what points of intersection and divergence we find between these productions. Before Carla gets us going with Priscilla, a quick note, both of the productions today were sponsored by listeners who contributed to our Season 3 crowdfunding campaign on Possible. They received top-secret hot-take reviews via SMS as a sign of our gratefulness for the lavish generosity that they showed. So, our trip to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was supported by Josh Wright and is brought to all of you by Josh. Thanks, Thanks Josh. Thanks, Josh. He's the new uh, creative director at Arts House. Fantastico. So, Carla, let's catch a matinee. Indeed. <laughs> I love a matinee. Oh, I, have yeah. to, I have to get that out of the way. I love a matinee. <laughs> There's something so naughty to me about sneaking off to the theatre at three o'clock on a Saturday and coming out and it's still daylight and you can go and have dinner. Mm. Uh, it's definitely a different kind of environment and I think maybe not the best environment to see this show, the Priscilla show, because it is quite a... I think designed to be a raucous night out for a lot of people. Don't get me wrong, people were still sinking a shit ton of cocktails <laughs> and dancing in the aisles. Um, it was like a hen's afternoon. It was like a hen's afternoon, but it was 44 degrees or whatever mm-hmm. and everyone was a bit ready to get loose. <laughs> so I think we're all very aware of the 1990 film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I never saw this musical when it was first put out. This is the first time I've seen it. Its little blurb says, get ready to shake your groove thing. The iconic hit musical has more glitter than ever, featuring a dazzling array of more than 500 award-winning costumes, 200 headdresses and a non-stop parade of dance floor classics, including It's Raining Men, I Will Survive, I Love the Nightlife, <laughs> Finally and more. Based on the Oscar-winning film Priscilla is the hilarious adventure of three friends who hop aboard a battered old bus bound for Alice Springs to put on the journey of a lifetime your show of a lifetime. Their epic journey is a warm, hearting, heartwarming story of self-discovery, sassiness, and acceptance. So the uh, costumes, a, a lot of the original uh, people who worked on the film were also involved in bringing this to life, particularly um, Stephen Elliott and Alan Scott, who wrote the book. It was directed by Simon Phillips, and they used like quite a few of the original costumes from the film and then also some further costume development by Tim Chappell, who was a creative partner with Lizzie Gardner. I can't really tell from the 
the book as to whether Lizzie Gardner was involved in the musical or whether they just used some of her designs from the film. But anyway, the costumes are fantastic, but we have to get a caveat out of the way. So this was almost like a queer minstrel show to me. Like I sat there with my jaw unhinged for three hours, not really quite believing what I was seeing. It is racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, classist, xenophobic. It is everything that you remember from the film. So in that way, it is a truthful realisation of this bubble in time of Australian history. So I just want to get that out of the way because I don't actually want to talk about that today. I want to talk about a couple of things. I will just say, before we leave that behind, that I wondered if there would be an update on the film. And at times I sensed that maybe some elements would be, but none of them were. No, it was a direct translation. Yep, thank you. And I think that's where we'll start talking about Australian classism. The things that I really want to talk about this production today is the translation of a film to a musical. Do you think it was successful? Is it something that is generally successful? I can't really think of many adaptations. Legally Blonde? Legally Blonde. You also saw Matilda, which you didn't particularly... That wasn't a film, that was a book to a musical. Although, yeah, that's had a few incantations, incarnations. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Legally Blonde the musical was a triumph. Oh, wonderful. I'm sure that there are many, but we'll talk specifically about this as a translation into a musical. I also want to talk about, essentially, it's Australian classism and the intersection with that with homosexuality or drag or whatever. And then my final question from both of these plays is, what is drag? It's something that I have, it's been in the background of my queer life for the longest time. I, you know, was bumping around Newtown during the time that they were filming this film. It's something that was very much captured a part of my young tween childhood years of my queer life in Sydney. And it's something that I've never actually questioned. But trying to really unpack these two shows I just kept coming back to the question of what is drag and what is it becoming I mean there's a funny little moment going on around drag at the moment it's on the TV more and more centrally through RuPaul's Drag Race people are talking about it writing articles about it analyzing it but what is it I agree because so much of what that RuPaul side of drag is that world of touring drag through America that is so defined by that television show that it's taking its own sort of pathway. And then this film, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, had such a strange widespread reception in Australia Mm. and has become a kind of defining text for what people believe drag to be and also what they think Australia is in relation to gay culture and drag scenes. So it's sort of because the film reduces lots of things to broad comedy, the urban outback divide, the all sorts of sort of encounters with difference. Gay through, versus straight. It's like it's very binary, black and white. And and scenes where they encounter people from other countries and, you know, it's sort of surprise at the non-white other and then surprise at um, the sort of, you know, real woman who's an angry woman. All of those scenes of weird binaries that seem not to belong in the world of drag as we know it mm. and a challenge so often in the performance of drag as we know it somehow are drag for so many people because of the impact of Priscilla. And I guess I feel like I want to have someone much older than me on this show that remembers this in more context or detail because drag used to be in my 
limited understanding of the history, like Lay Girls, which is what is referenced in Priscilla, also very much a part of my history as a Sydney person. You know, my parents used to go to Lay Girls, you know, to have a gawk kind of thing. And so drag used to be, quote unquote, you know, like basically trans women before they could get an operation or live their lives in a trans, in a, in a, in the gender that they wanted to be or they were born um, mentally. But uh, then it sort of it went through. But I went through to this where it's like a lot of these costumes are almost like clown circus kind of where there's primary use of boy bodies. Mm-hmm. Like there are no padding, no boobs, just primary boy body use. They're quite muscular as they were in the film. But more. More. Extremely muscular yes. in this production. We've got body dysmorphia type bodies going on here. Yeah. And... There's not a lot of drag as we understand it to be as a female impersonation in this. Indeed. In- and listen to the song list that was part of the description. It's Raining Men. I mean, that's uh, not a, As that soon as we sat anthem? down and that started, I was like, oh, we are in deep we're in, water. We're in straight land. <laughs> yes, we're in straight land. We're at a straight karaoke yeah. show. And that's what made me really understand, like, how thirsty we were back in the 90s for any kind of re- representation. Now I look back at it, it was just homosexuality packaged for straight people. 100%. You know, because it's like, it takes all of those elements of like, oh, the fags are so fucking good at flower arranging and costume design and, you know, being screaming queens. And dirty jokes. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. That we get. Yes, yes. And it was just like a hen's night at the lair, not the lair, the peel, (laughs) you know. It was like a hen's night at the peel. Although women are not allowed at the peel, there's a sign on the door. Well, fucking hell, if this is what happens, (laughs) then I don't want that either. Mm, Indeed, interesting. Do you find it's over-ockerness and the boy bodies, to me, that felt very homophobic because it felt like it was packaging drag in a way that was silly enough for straight men to accompany their wives to go and see the show or to watch the movie. Yeah, it was sort of drag in the style of footy show Yes, players who are so male. Which is so, so specifically you know, their, Australian. Their maleness is exposed because they can't properly pull off the drag show. I mean, even in the original film, non-drag queens get dressed up in drag in certain scenes and it is a kind of clowning event. Yes. Um, and the clowny costumes reveal the straightness and the maleness of the people and the bodies underneath. So, Which is such a, it seems to me, such an Australian thing. Yeah, as, and and the awkwardness and the um, extremeness of the elements that I think were enhanced through the musical is a product of that question you had about film adaptation to the stage. There just wasn't very much talk in the musical because musicals don't have talk, and that meant that they had to translate things efficiently through stereotypes that were even further exaggerated from their Mm. already extreme versions in the film comedy, right? Mm. So you kind of have to get Sherl, this uh, woman in an outback pub who's sort of angry and marginalised within that culture. You've got to sort of amp up the misogyny well beyond what would be needed in a film context, not that one ever really needs misogyny at all, and yet because that's the character that the musical has inherited, you get this grotesque further expression of her. And I'll tell you something that I thought that I found really interesting because I wrote something like No Female Characters and then later I was like, oh, shame on you, there's a trans woman in that show. But 
Isn't that interesting that I wasn't even led to believe through that show that she was a real woman? What you about know, like the politics of- and Cheryl? You know, these no. sort of girlfriend figures. Babes. <laughs> the only people that were treated with somewhat respect were like mermaids, which were the oh divas. Oh, my God, the that, divas. The okay. divas that were floated down from the roof to sing the song. So at least they did that. They had a represent uh, the representation physically of the women singing the songs that the um, main characters were lip-syncing well, along representation, to. but literally floating above floating the above. stage. And yeah. then sort of dragged up into the ether. Fascinating. All of this all of this hyper-problematic gender stuff. And then the reception of the musical, which we just have to say was kind of ecstatic standing ovation, let's go and keep having the party, is so intriguing yeah. when, when that is the text, right? So people are receiving this. As if it were really unproblematic. That was the vibe. And it made me really think, like, back in the day, like, why there... I mean, I've got so many intersections for both the shows, which is, like, cackling bogan fag hags in the audience, awkwardness, (laughs) off-colour drag queen jokes. So back when drag queens were more like sometimes a warm-up act in gay clubs where they were just telling lewd, bawdy uh, jokes. And I think, like, a lot of this... I'm not directly barbing the production itself. It is definitely of its time. And I'm trying to unpack this cultural shift in gender studies, essentially, over a 20-year period to the point that we can now have this conversation. So (laughs) both shows had a cast of thousands (laughs) and everything but the kitchen sink and the storyline. Super faggy dads. Oh, yeah. There was two super faggy dads, one in each show. Uh, A live band. Mm-hmm. In both shows mm-hmm. with a live, like an original score. Well, not so much an original s- score for that one. And Fag Hag's Gone Wild and Boy Bodies. Boy, boy Bodies. Boy, boy, In both shows. That's so interesting because the gay male non-drag body has become more muscular along with the straight male body in Australia for a younger generation. So how do you dress that up? I think there's just a generation shift in terms of what gay men look like, at least the ones who are going to be performers, and then how do you cast that? How do you make that into somebody who is on the pathway to be a drag queen in the second show and a kind of full-blown superstar performer in the Priscilla show? Yes. I also, it just made me realise that, you know, I'm like, what is a fag hag? Why are there fag hags? Look, it totally spun me out, this whole <laughs> this whole show, all both these shows. And it's like, yeah, because back in the day, and this is a direct correlation to the show that we saw on Saturday, back in the day, the only way that you could go and have a good time as a woman was to go out with men who would not want to sexually assault you, right? And that's exactly what I felt was the vibe at that Saturday matinee was, I'm like, I was like, oh, how sad that straight people can only really let this far go and have a great time when it's in a queer, quote-unquote queer environment. It said so much to me. Yeah, and the absence of straight men in the audience was fascinating then along those lines because it was dominated by women numerically. Lots of women were going together as a group of women with or without gay male friends. But, yeah, that idea that there's a licence given to the experience of women through the gay male Mm. um, and that we've sort of created texts that facilitate that and environments that facilitate that, at least until the peel band women. (laughs) So we come back to that fascinating sense that there is a uh, heritage problematic um, between two categories of people looking for something along the same lines. It was a fascinating trip back in 
time for me, mm. excuse me. And then, you know, then comparing it with this now, this brand new drag show. And then also over the top we've got All Stars 3, RuPaul's Drag yes. Race, in the background already started. And it seems to me like drag has followed the trajectory of our understanding of gender because now they really, I mean, it's, it is uh, exaggerated, but now the goal is primarily to look as feminine as possible, mm-hmm. to really be a female impersonator. That's also technology, like they've got chest plates now and all that kind of stuff. But Realness. The idea that really it's like they, it's no longer about having a boy body or a girl body, it's about what you want to be, whether it's a feminine presentation or a masculine presentation, and I think that has been the most interesting trajectory to look at between these two shows. One tiny little distinction from the film that I noticed was during the gay bashing scene in the musical version when Felicia is running away from angry men who've discovered Mm. uh, his maleness. In the musical version, the soundtrack is hot stuff. I know. I was almost in tears. Yeah. Um, And he's running away from cowboy-like men who were jumping onto him. And he's punching several of them in the face successfully, as if it were a slowed-down scene from an action movie, getting a few guys out of the way before finally falling to the bigger hero who's the homophobic, gay-bashing straight man. Yeah. In the film, there's no fight from Felicia. No. And in the musical... Because she knows not to fight. And her body is different. Guy Pearce's body wasn't like Ewan's body. Um, What's his name? Ewan Dodge's body, which is just excessive, right? It's a bodybuilding body on Felicia Mm -hmm. in this adaptation. And so, of course, you have to sort of choreograph it so that it's a bit more male and a bit stronger and tougher and physical. Mm. I think maybe like... And this is maybe being generous, I'm not sure, but when you put something on the stage, everything does have to be exaggerated, like stage makeup and everything in order for everybody in the back to really still see. So I'm sure if we were like even closer, we'd be much more traumatized. I'm so (laughs) impressed. I'm so impressed that they can dance so well with being that big. Like it's so great. Look, ultimately, this show was very entertaining. The costumes were stunning, particularly the final, the final act with all of like the lady, the waddle and the kangaroos and the koalas and stuff like oh my god tear to the eye beautiful like and why was that reserved for the curtain call i mean that was it was weird that that was was, weird that was the adaptation of the stage show in alice springs from the film they performed that after the whole story's over as if they were somehow back in sydney and of course there's that wonderful moment of the sydney opera house dresses and you know it was beautiful and wonderfully choreographed but i i wondered why that was delayed so long it felt like they were saving the best to last and it was a bit too late by that point like I would have oohed and ah, like you know, there could have been a little bit more of a peppering, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a quibble. Like the final act, the costumes were absolutely stunning, mm-hmm. and I hope they will be preserved somewhere in a museum for totally. us to <laughs> look at forever. And there is like I don't have cultural cringe in that way. Like I love dinky, crappy shit about Australia. I love it. Mm. I absolutely love it. But also, I had forgotten about the Airs Rock thing. Oh yes, where. Uh, just Ooh. that was the thing that actually really like kicked me in the that guts. That was disgusting. Like I couldn't even believe it. And that was the one concession that they made. I don't remember if they do it in the film, but the one. No, in the film it's Kings Canyon. It's Kings Canyon. It's Kings Are Canyon. you sure? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because in this, in the musical, they like went, oh, you know, we shouldn't be doing this, but uh, exactly. So in the musical, they say we shouldn't do this. It's sacred. 
And then that's what Bernadette's line. And then Felicia says something along the lines of Kylie's sacred too. And then (laughs) Kylie, like... Kylie is sacred. You're on Uluru. It's seriously like if I went out to Broken Hill and said, tell me what gay people do. Kylie. (laughs) Kylie, mate. This is... This is what the show. I can't believe I've said that voice into a microphone. Uh, so ultimately, I think. Do you? Th- I think it was well translated as a musical, even yeah. though it was extremely problematic. Content. But I feel mostly rage. Yeah, I felt. I felt like I had to have a sulfuric acid bath after going to that. I was like, there was a didgeridoo joke, <laughs> and they made an indigenous was, man say it. And they made an indigenous. Oh, just they just, made a lot of people do a lot of things that I'm sure that they regret, but. I don't know what else to say. Do you say. know what the worst thing was? That they didn't make a musical with original songs. That's an old school critique, but I actually hate the fact that they had to make every musical moment, and there were many, somehow match a pre-existing karaoke number. Well, this literally, this song list yeah. is yeah. from going to a gay club in 1995 <laughs> Yeah, with your girlfriend. But like, like if you're looking at a bus that says, um, you know, gay fags go home or whatever it says on the bus when somebody graffitis it, if you have to somehow translate that into True Colours by Cindy Lauper, <laughs> unironically performed... <laughs> Like the cognitive dissonance was... Can I just ask when they had the Go West number why everyone was a redhead? And why were they going West anyway? (laughs) Oh, my God. I do want to say one more thing about um, the comparison between the shows is alcoholism. Interesting. So I don't know if that is specifically Australian as well or along the themes of... There was a very, there was an overarching bludgeoning theme of mm-hmm. people who aren't happy in their own skin. Mm. Um, so that's why they do drag is mm. to be someone else. But that's also paralleled with their alcoholism because they're fighting their demons. And that was that was literal in both shows. Yes. So twenty years later, twenty three years it's later, you've got trope. the same this same um, story. And I don't know if that's fair to say either. Like. Mm. I think it's a pretty limited um, story. I mean, it sort of means that whenever you see something and you say fabulous, you have to know, oh, hang on, footnote, this is probably a self-loathing person who's got major addiction problems. Yeah, or that, you know, the only way that I can express my... Uh, the misogyny directed at me as a feminine man mm-hmm. is by dressing up as a woman. Yeah. Is by expressing that. But in- being an angry, self-loathing and violent <laughs> woman who lands a few punches on the way. Oh, dear. This, I think this says so much about Australia that I could talk about for you, with you, for a million years. But let's at least get a let, margarita. Let, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's time to go and get a cocktail. <laughs> Intermission. So I'm serious about the margarita and I'll have a glowing one, please, with a straw. They had, they've got like five different kinds mm. here. So, okay. I'll oh, you've got the my... menu? No, no, I'm just oh, okay. flicking through the catalogue. But <laughs> I just you remember. the excitement in my voice there. I just remember seeing people with like literal fistfuls of yeah. plastic, yeah. plastic. Um, there were umbrellas all over glasses. the floor. There was umbrellas all over the floor. <laughs> I was too much to feel shame, even though it was 43 degrees or whatever. I was wearing thongs to the theatre. Brilliant. And I kept getting these little, like, cocktail umbrellas stuck oh, in my feet. Crunch, crunch. And I kept thinking, oh, Phil would like this. <laughs> I'm being punished for wearing thongs in the theatre. What an exceptional cluster of strange texts over 
alcohol late. I mean, we can't talk about it forever, but, you know, alcoholism on the stage, alcoholism in the pews. Yes. You know, far out. Okay, but what what else? What else? Have you been going to the tennis? Have you been going to the triennial? (laughs) I have not not actually been yet. I'm waiting to finish up work before I go to school, so I can go go during the week. Yeah, nice. Um, What have I been doing? uh, Working all summer, which is boring, but... um, I just want to mention again that Star Trek Discovery has completely kicked it up a notch. Like, the second half of the season has gone so batshit insane. It is so good. Every episode, I have no idea what's going to happen. Can you just start with that season? Would that be a thing I yes, could do? Okay. Anyone can watch this. Okay. You don't have to know anything about Star Trek. Okay. It's just got a really cool storyline, cool effects. Because my give version of go. Star Trek is like they give you a quiz on the rules of chess no, before you watch. it's fine. No, they can very much just drop into this Love universe. It. And okay. it's very spelled out, mm. but not in an exhib- um, exposition-y way. Mm. So that's been killing me. I've actually started re-watching The Masters of Sex, which for all of you theatre-goers out there, if you have not seen this show, I would highly recommend it because it is very dense, very textural, very beautifully acted and the script is amazing Mm. Uh, it's very tender it's about longing and Mm. desire in the 50s Um, it's wonderful Mm. so that's what I've been killing my time with I did actually uh, catch the triennial at NGV during a special 10-day festival that they were running there and I'm intrigued by this development in museum and uh, gallery style institution programming where they're targeting Gen Y really explicitly. Well, Gen this X is and that y. guy, I can't remember what his name is, but he was the one who was at Goma for five oh, years. Yeah. And okay. now he's brought that model was, here. It was a party, right? Yeah. I, I left NGV at midnight. It's inclusive because yeah. they have those plaques for children. That's something that he's really adamant on and having spaces for children. Great, great stuff for kids at Triennial. Yeah. Made by artists who specialise in that kind of art. amazing. Fabulous and fascinating. Interesting though as well because Wilson Security Company, currently employed by the NGV, has been protested against really visibly by some of the artists, Mm. uh, which gives an appropriately uncomfortable undermining element to some aspects of the show. Um, yeah, it's very selfie-ready. But we'll talk more about it when you've seen it. I did go to the tennis. Oh. I like a I like a ground pass. Do you? I do. I like Grigor Dimitrov. Oh, okay, surprise, sure, surprise. sure. In fact, I was watching the tennis. This is a separate story, but at Port Arlington Hotel on the telly, we had a couple of televisions going with tennis on each of them. Um, and when the locals, who always have the news on in the background, just asked us which TV we needed to turn off because, you know, the locals were going to have the news on, I said, well, um, it has to be that one because that's my husband playing. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like everyone else, dressed in hot pink at the time. <laughs> modern, modern, um, modern. That was a very, you know, post-marriage equality moment, I felt. Ah. You know, because they thought, is he serious? And then the, the guy behind the pub, you know, the hotelier said, well, why didn't he give you a free ticket then? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, all yeah, right, because exposed. I li- because I like to slum it yep. with his fans. Yeah, that's it. Too. I'm not in the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a funny moment, though, for Melbourne when it, a genuinely international sporting event like the Australian Open perches on the edge of the city. It's, mm. you know, as a resident of the CBD, it's fascinating to see the impact of that in terms of snobbery and racism, basically, because it's, you know, Europe arrives sure, and then sure. Europe departs. This was, it was the um, Australian Open that made the Melbourne City Council bring in its disgraceful bylaw about 
street sleeping and you know they oh, they, they cleared they cleared Flinders Street of people who were sleeping there because of the tennis. So there's that disgustingness to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of the sports I watch. Oh, did you ever know, because I was still living in Sydney when we had the Olympics, that they just got a bus in and they just like went around one night and picked up all of the homeless people and drove them to a detention centre like two hours out of the city for three weeks while the Olympics was on. And then just like they all just disappeared. And then they just put them all back on a bus and drove them back in like two weeks after the Olympics was done, just <laughs> deposited them oh, at Hyde Park. Seriously. That is surreal. <laughs> This country is actually surreal. It's unbelievable. I mean, we do that on all sorts of scales, but we just keep doing that. <laughs> Did you oh, do anything man. else for Midsummer? Uh, not yet. I skipped Carnival. Oh, I went. Oh. <laughs> I had a friend in town. I was like, let's go. I thought it was not your kind of party. It's not at all. <laughs> trust me. They had a strange thing. They had this like minus 18, you know, like the young gay people... Love um, minus organization, yeah. And they had it in this like caged off area in the center of where everything was, and it just looked like a crash, like because they were all just like sitting in there. At first, I was like, "Oh, that's nice. I've got a little area that they can sit in." But really, it just looked like it was trying to like keep predators out, rather uh, uh, than. Like, but also, this is a Priscilla joke. But to keep the sixteen-year-olds in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really strange. But, um, yeah, bigger and bigger and bigger. I haven't been in years, so the new location is great. Okay. Darling Gardens. Okay. It's much bigger. Great. It's, it's much more, there's a lot more shade mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I only stayed for, like, 40 minutes because mm. I was already getting sunburned. It's not Darling Gardens. It's the NGV side of the river. Isn't yeah, it? isn't that Darling yeah, Gardens? Alexandra or oh, whatever. Is yeah. that? Oh, okay. Darling is the one just over here in oh, Clifton Hill. That was, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, her. I'm going to go see Her. Her. Um, the Taylor oh, Mac okay. play at Red Stitch. That's going to be the last thing mm. I do for it for mm. midsummer. Yeah. <gasps> Gotta go. More drag! <laughs> Get your wig on. <laughs> okay, it's time for our second midsummer production Dragged at La Mama. This review is brought to us by generous friend of the podcast, Chester Chen. Oh, Chester. Chester. Hi, Chester. Thank you, Chester. Thank you. I think you would have liked this one. As the program says in this wild new play, the fight through bruised relationships, unknowing identity and 24-7 partying all collide and leaves a mess mum couldn't even sweep up. We follow the story of Stella, a beaten up glamorous drag queen and her transformation from boy to man and man to queen. Through drug-induced hallucinations, we are thrown up on the corner of Memory Lane and Regret Street to watch the makings and destruction of a boy in battle. What curious language people use about this stuff. That wasn't exactly my experience of this show, but who knows? Maybe that's how you need to market to get people other than fans uh, to see drag. Anyway, this was the story of a disturbed, socially isolated, self-loathing young alcoholic um, who does really mean things to his boyfriend, oversees and participates in the destruction of his entire family, and then relives the experience while dressed in a kind of semi-fabulous drag outfit. So, curious premise, ultimately depressing, and yet Interestingly, along the same lines as Priscilla, this was presented in a flamboyantly comic 
mode mm. at times, as if it's drag, we're gonna laugh. Comedy tragedy, comedy tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was also a whole lot of surreal elements to this play that meant that the storytelling was done in a way that I actually found quite interesting. So rather than simply giving you the chronology, making everything clear, I was never really sure where we were or who was whom. I mean, I actually took a long really? time to work out that the blonde kid was the drag queen. Oh, the the baby drag queen. Yeah, and okay. I also didn't know who the people having parties were and whether they were the same people as the alcoholics meeting at a kind of AA-style meeting. I think that that was the inference. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that we're, we're, we're immersed in parties. Hey, the music was great, wasn't it? So The music was actually very really good. Really cool. So there were live, live performers. Score. Fantastic. Taking us into, you know, party mode, out the back lane, behind the club. That was really exciting and fantastic. But look, I was actually really excited by this production. I love to go to a play that is a new piece of writing that works. Like this was well rehearsed, it gelled, and it's the kind of script that shows real promise in terms of this kind of theatre being produced. I love going to La Mama in Carlton. I'm really happy that they've got a new um, entry with yeah. fabulous panelling. I love that they offered me a free coffee. Aww. I love that somebody there had heard our podcast before. What? Yeah, just some random person. I became friends. Anyway, I just love the mode and the mood at that institution. And that's all i got to say. Yeah, uh, look, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think um, Andy Eisbert's text here, particularly for, I think it is his first play, um, it's a very, it's it's great. Like, I certainly couldn't write a play. But, um, you know, I think it could do with an edit. I think it could be, you know, cut down by 20 minutes. I don't really, f- I don't really understand. I think that the parallel between the party people, the AA meeting, and then the drag queen's life or the baby drag queen's life was sort of this, people in pain parallel but I think that that whole subplot can be cut out Mm -hmm. I don't think that that was it was confusing and it was kind of unnecessary the party people the party people Mm -hmm. or it needs to be more clear or amped up as to the inference that it's like uh, everybody's drinking their pain away or that it needs to be either fleshed out more or cut Lewis Corbett as the young drag queen the boy before he becomes a drag queen was astounding Mm. what an amazing performer Mm. I can't believe how great he was. In a tough role. Very tough role mm. and so baby-faced. Mm-hmm. Like that little molester moustache that mm-hmm. he has. It's just like <laughs> it looked like it took him five years to grow it. And he could face down Dean Robinson in the role of his dad. Absolutely. <laughs> in some pretty violent scenes. Yeah, there was excellent physical acting in this. So well choreographed. Very well choreographed. There was... There was really a lot of this was very polished. Mm. So I think for a courthouse show and a La Mama show and a first uh, first script show, this was awesome. And I I hazard a guess that more iterations of this it will become a pretty iconical mm. standard text yeah. in the future. Samuel Thompson is the drag queen. The thing that I found strange about this show, and I don't know why, maybe I'm being silly, is. Um, it just because the drag queen was off to the side of the stage watching his life unfold essentially from the time he was young and being um, in denial about his sexuality and everything like that. And I just found it so strange that this beautiful, glamorous drag queen was just sitting on the side of the stage <laughs> letting everybody else take their light, you know? And even the occasional <laughs> interruptions were really tasteful. Yes. 
So, yeah, this is another story of it seems to be more of a coastal mm. homophobic raise, raising, child raising situation. There was a lot of, a, a little bit of mixed metaphors in there, particularly with the mum. It kind of sped up a bit at the end. What was the drag queen's character, Stella? Mm, which Stella, is her mother's name. Stella, Stella was like, oh, I became a drag queen to forget who I am, forget where I came from, but I'd never wanted to forget my mum, so that's why I took her name. I'm like, I'm not really sure if I understand the logic behind also, that. Also, you haven't forgotten your mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no risk of that. Um, but we don't really have – do we have the details of the people who did the music? All we've got here is sound design by Shane Black. We need to include that. They were so cool. They were really cool. It was like a, um acoustic guitarist mm. uh, plugged in and mm. a, like a digital um, – Maybe they've just sort of buried their names in the cast to imply that they were – you know, performing along with everyone else, but they've they've just got names in the program. The score was great. So mm. if this is still on by mm. the time we get this out, I would recommend that you go and see it, or at least we need to keep Andy Eisbert on the um, on the radar. It was so bold and wonderfully melodramatic. Bold is a good word for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. For example, I don't want to give any spoilers, but the moment of kind of profound connection and reconciliation between boy and mum at the end where a lot of love language is used mm. in in wonderfully simple powerful ways i was hooked yeah. i was having a kind of next level soap opera experience and you can't do that by writing badly so that's just no. further affirmation of this 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 playwright fantastic yeah and obviously it was a, it was a really good cast, mm. excellent cast. Mm. I think we were there. We were there on opening night. There was Possibly. a lot of there was mm. a lot of friends of the mm. cast in the audience, ha, ha, ha. hooping and hollering. <laughs> um, the set was great as well. This production really stands up. Yeah, and it was so fascinating to see it after Priscilla. Oh. So intriguing. And I mean, I guess that it, it can be metaphorical for the performing arts in general of. Um, finding yourself through characterizing other people, mm-hmm. but there was that whole element again of alcoholism and being doing drag to escape my life or mm. their life mm. um, to then find themselves again mm. and yet still be self destructive. Yeah, you know it's offered as a solution that can never work because the damage is so profound. And there were really sad threads to this story, and. Yeah, the idea that we keep have to overlaying drag as a culture with melancholy and darkness yeah, is, is fascinating. Yeah, it, both productions really had that dead gay sort of thing hovering to, mm-hmm. over it. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's interesting to me as well, that they're not narratives that I'm used to seeing much anymore either. Like I watched Call Me By, Call Me By Your Name the other night. and Beautiful. You know, I'm just like. This is where we are yep. now, you know. So, Agreed. Yeah, interesting. And I wonder if being Tasmanian had a lot to do to influence mm. um, Andy's play. Mm. Oh, we should try to get him on here to ha- have yeah, an interview. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, Let's to do find it. out. Mm. We want to involve the uh, Apple Isle a mm-hmm. little bit more. More of our sister, really, than Adelaide or Sydney. We are close. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for this show. We loved it. Wonderful. Coming soon. What is going to happen next in Melbourne? The AFLW. It's already off, started last, off last night, night across so the road from happening. my house. Were there were there numbers? Oh, it was shocking. Yeah, well, last year they had to move that match. My dogs from... freaked out. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, That's good. Yeah, I saw a friend posting about how 
The women in her household wanted to watch drag, you know, men dressing in drag, and the men in her household wanted to watch the women play football. So screw you, 1950. Oh, dear. Hashtag something. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I do recommend seeing a match in this season of football because, number one, it's free. Number two... It uses suburban ovals, which yes. have this whole nostalgic embedded quality. I saw one at the Witten Oval in Footscray last year, the dogs versus the crows, and it was different. Mm. Yeah, and and I and I recommend giving it a look. Well, I've never been to the football, and I always say that that's like one of the few things that prevent me from being Mel- a minted Melbourne. And <laughs> the other is going to a show at Festival Hall, but now that seems that that will never happen for me. So sad. <laughs> I know, um, but I think that that's a good point because I should make my first football match. A women's football match. I also have a team as well. It's the Giants. Go the Giants. Greater Western Sydney. Right. So, uh, yeah, okay, let's go. I have two coming soon. So shows that we covered last year as our best of or my best of are both getting another run in February. So we've got... This is Eden at 45 Downstairs again, having a two-week run, one-week, two-week run. So go and see it. And also Picnic and Hanging Rock is having another show at the Malt House. I love. Yeah. So I'm going along to see both of those shows are again. Are you? Yes, I Let am. Let me know when you are. Yeah. So Wonderful. I'm doing this thing this year. It's my New Year's resolution that I'm not buying any tickets until the day. <laughs> so also going to try and get Student Rush. Text me. So uh, yeah. So I've got like it blocked out in my calendar, the show runs. Oh my God. And then I'll just be like, oh, today the day oh run there and get a student Love rush it. yeah i can't wait so they're my they're my two you must go and see these shows Five stop stars. what you are doing agreed <laughs> that's it for me and that is it for this month happy midsummer and see you next year thank you so much for listening you can contact carla and me at us at across please do that our facebook page is across aisle and our twitter account is across aisle Thank you to Shaq West and Mark Barridge for our sound and music. And thank you to all the artists whose work we immersed ourselves in this month. Without you, we'd have to put on our own drag show. (laughs) See you later, Carla. Bye, Philip. And see you all here next month.